Aaron McHugh is a writer, blogger, podcaster, and career liberator. He is mastering the art of living a sustainable work-life balance that includes rhythms of play constantly woven in. He joins us in this episode at Let the Music Play as we discuss the joy and beauty that lies in the intersection of our work, our lives, and the space we call play. Hi, I'm Ashton Gustafson, and this is Let the Music Play. The more people I managed, the more responsibility I had, the more business trips I had to go on, you know, the more money I made, all those things, those came with a cost and nobody sat me down and said, hey, we're going to promote you to, you know, king of whatever, global this, that. And oh, by the way, you need to figure out how to expend 600 more emotional calories a day. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Let the Music Play. So glad you're joining us again. We have an incredible guest joining us today, um, Aaron McHugh. And you know, it's it's crazy uh, how life kind of ends up connecting us. I, I came across Aaron's work um, about a year ago. I was Googling, looking for um, the quote that Stephen Pressfield wrote about finding your swing, and inside each and every one of us is one true authentic swing uh, from uh, the book and the movie that he wrote, um, The Legend of Bagger Vance. And this is how I came across Aaron's work. He's an artist, uh, but he's also uh, doing a lot of different things, and so I'm just super excited to introduce Aaron to you guys and walk through a lot of uh, his story, his journey, uh, and the expertise that he has. Aaron, thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, Ash, this is super fun. Really appreciate the opportunity and super stoked to have a chat with you. Absolutely, man. So, um, okay, so the, the bird's eye view of uh, Aaron McHugh and your work. Now, when I came across uh, what you were doing, I, I found basically um, this podcast and kind of a blog platform that you have uh, called Work Life Play. Um Tell me, how did how did this all get going? Because I know you, you you've got you know a job like a lot of us do, but you also have this creative, this art, this passion uh, that you want to share with the world. How how did you kind of begin this platform? Yeah, I, I didn't intend for it to ever become that. So the irony is, when I first started writing, so this is about five years ago now. I had had told had people in life say, Hey, you really ought to write. And I thought, man, that's all the world needs is one more writer. <laughs> um, so I just really kind of subdued any of that background encouragement that people provided. And then years before that I had worked in broadcast media, TV and radio and was around all that, but I was always in a sales and marketing capacity. So I would have people that would say, Hey, you should get on air with us. You know, you have a great voice for that. And I just, same thing. It was like, man, what are you talking about? I'm a sales guy. Right. So what had happened, Ashton, was I started looking at making a career change. And I really saw that beginning to use a blog as a differentiator, really for more profiling ideas. Mm -hmm. So when you're in the business of ideas and I did business of sales and marketing, some of that differentiation I really thought would be well served if that was through basically a digital portfolio. So that's really kind of how it started. And then what had occurred was I would start maybe entering in once a week or every other week. And I have this idea or I think about this thing a certain way I think is interesting. So I just kind of started writing and 
then my mom read it and then my brother read it. And then right. you know, I had two friends who read it. And then it was like, well, maybe I should actually do this thing and just get over my hangups related to the fact that the world has, I think it was 160 million blogs at the time. Well, wow. um, so now five years later, I spend a large amount of my time investing in creation of story and content and, yeah, it's really a fun, fun place for me. It's my sandbox where I get to create and design and flush out ideas and things that I'm working on. And it's been fun to see that other people get jazzed about it. Like you mentioned, the, the one true authentic swing that you ran across that post. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, for our listeners listening in, I think there's so many people that um, just avoid that curiosity like there are things that you have been curious about there's a way that you've seen the world and and you've put that out there and it never was about a bunch of eyeballs reading it or ears listening to it it was it was this avenue for you to get you know that swing that's inside of you out into the world to inspire others um what would you say has helped you kind of push through some of the resistance, you know, as, as Pressfield says on, 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 you've got, you know, family, kids, wife, uh, a job, you know, and then, and then you have this too, that you want to get out there. What rhythms have you set into place to, um, you know, really build some momentum into an art project like this? Yeah. Great question. So Stephen Pressfield's book, the, the uh, legend of Bagger Vance, where that quote came from, a good friend of mine actually introduced, introduced me to the movie, and he was—he's a golf pro and designs golf courses for a living. And so he had told me about it, and I thought, okay, I'll, I'll go check it out. And I, when I watched it, I really realized, man, that—that's mm-hmm. a friend of mine calls it. It's like that's my note. Like something right. resonated in me yeah. of what is that within us that each of us truly does have one true authentic swing and yeah. what in the movie it profiles how Juna had to go looking for it again. He lost it. Right. That it got buried underneath a bunch of debris of his life, a bunch of choices, a bunch of happenings to him. And what I found that for myself is once I've actually turned the switch to say, I didn't have a choice of whether or not this art is inside of me or not, but I do have a choice of whether or not I choose to engage it Hmm. and let it out. Mm -hmm. And that's been really pivotal for me. So one of the things I use is Pressfield's The War of Art. Yeah. If you've ever listened to that, read it, I probably listened to that. I bet I listened to at least twice a year. Yeah, no doubt. And even recently when I just published my first book, I put it on in the background while I was working just to help me push through, as you name the resistance of that disqualifying voice that says, I'm not enough. Nobody will care. This is a waste of my time. You know, all those types of things I could help tune down the volume of that while I pushed through really what I would call is, is the extraction process of pulling the art out and then turning it into something that's, that you have to, it's like wet clay. You have to form it into something that actually represents what it is you're trying to do or say or create. And then once you say, all right, it's done, then it goes into the work of then offering it to the world and really trying to take the pressure off of it needing to become anything. So since I don't link my day job 
right. financials to it, then I get the luxury of, I call it my garage project. I could work on my garage project as much as I want because there's no pressure upon it to actually generate or create anything. Now, subsequently, it does generate and create some income for me, but that was a byproduct right. of doing the work, doing the art, showing up. Um, so that's a, a first pass, and then I can give you some thoughts on, on rhythms as well. Well, and I think that you stay in, uh, there's a sense of integrity that's, that's with, that comes with that too when you get to work in that flow and in that freedom of this must you know, this must sell or this must have, yeah. you know, X amount of shares or anything like that. When, when you're able to, um, you know, really work with that form of freedom, I think the true artist, you get to see the swing, you get to hear that note, uh, yeah. from, a, from a much more authentic place. Did you have the same experience with Pressfield naming the resistance, the resistance that I did? Like, did that, did that shift a reality for you of being able to say, oh, this, this thing that, you know, whispers nothing but negative <laughs> yeah. feedback, actually, yeah. we gave it a name. Did, did that, yeah. did that do the same thing for you? It did. And I had spent quite a bit of time with a um, marketing business author, whether through following his writings or some workshops and stuff I attended, a guy named Seth Godin that you yeah. may have heard of also. 100%. And Seth talked a lot about the resistance and he talked about the lizard brain. That was kind of right, yeah. probably the first time I'd really heard like, yeah. you mean what? There is actually something in me that is motivated by self-preservation <laughs> right. and self-preservation is the elimination or minimization of risk, mm -hmm. of embarrassment, of shame, of anticipated negative things. And what I realized is like that that's actually okay that that serves an appropriate place when I listened to Pressfield and then heard him go on and talk about the muse yep. and this really this entrusting installment that each of us receive of this kingdom glory that we can then bring and we're, we are entrusted in only us, we get the download. And so then we get to choose what to do with it. And what I love about how he goes on and says, basically, how do you get it out? Then once you decide you're going to get it out, then how do you go about the work of getting it out? Mm -hmm. And then I love regarding his work, how how disciplined he is in that. It's there's an mm -hmm. everydayness mm -hmm. to what he does. Mm -hmm. yep. And that's some of what I've tried to adopt is just say, listen, I'm doing this, period. No more wavering or questioning or wondering. And then if I'm gonna do it, then I'm gonna really do it like I really mean, like like what would a pro look like? And he talks about yep. going pro. So I definitely have taken to heart those messages in how I chip away now at, you know, five years and 50 some odd episodes of podcasts and a couple hundred blog issues. And yeah, it's been, it feels like a body of work that I never thought I'd get to, yeah. but now that body of work has momentum. And then as you said, Ashton, there has been an integrity of it of, I don't have pressure on it to become anything. And what I've been working through is the more authentic I get in what I offer and not try to pretend to be someone else or try to adapt to what I think people might enjoy, but just plain and simply do the best version of me that I can yeah. found the irony is all those stats and statistics and downloads and all those analytics, they actually have gone up, you know, 10 times what they used to be yeah. from even a year ago, just by me making those subtle shifts towards I'm going to do me. Yeah. That's so good. Did you just say a minute ago you used a metaphor 
like of downloading some yeah. the, like downloading did you say kingdom glory I, I didn't write it down but it was yeah there was a word picture there that was really beautiful and could you riff on that yeah so i i've listened to enough of your um, podcasts to know that you you have a um a, a spiritual component to your life yeah. and from the people you interview rob bell and um i'm just trying to blank on the oh franciscan priest yeah this, richard rohr richard rohr yeah, yeah. sorry um, what I've learned is that in us is this component where I really do believe it's, it's an installment and a download from something greater than us. Mm. And I, I name that something as God. Yep. And with that, my experience then of what I'm entrusted to do is, like Rob Bell talked about in his book that you just interviewed of how to be here and we actually have something to do here. And that something is for meaning and for purpose and for betterment. And as soon as I began to really embrace that externally in what I was offering the world, I would have that conversation with you over a beer as a friend, but I wasn't necessarily risking doing that publicly. Right. And what I found is that my, my sweet spot is not to be overtly um, spiritual in terms of trying to get people to fall into a belief system or a camp or any of those things, but just saying, listen, as Rob Bell says, everything is spiritual. Like we're all in this together. And what I think we can agree on is that each of us get a download. We don't get all of it. It reminds me of the Matrix movie. It's like, you want to learn Kung Fu? Here you go. Here's your download. You can get yeah. the kung fu piece. And what I've learned is that the more you we embrace that unique sliver of kingdom glory, then we actually can go do something meaningful mm. in the world because then we've got something driving us that we know it's not just about our own selfish gain. Yeah. My own, oh, I got to make a name for myself and try and be a professional whatever. Yeah. But instead just say, you know what? I'm going to do this. I'm going to do it to the best of my ability. And I know that because I've spent 20 years in business, as I chip away with it or at it, that craft then will provide me opportunity to make other choices in what I choose to do in terms of a career. But it takes me showing up every day to do the work, to earn the right to be heard, to make a difference with my, you know, my download. No doubt. Wow, man, that's beautiful. We We download it. We don't get it all. (laughs) but we download enough to go share, to go be the gift, to go inspire, to give it away. Um, Wow. That's a beautiful metaphor. Thank you for that. Yeah, man. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Okay. So walk me through a little bit of uh, kind of the cliff notes of your book. It's called fire your boss. Love that. Um, If you had a, an, an elevator speech for the overview, um, what, what were kind of your goals for the reader in that book? What I, what I believe is we're here to do work that matters. And I've observed in my career that a lot of people approach work as survival mm. and as sustenance, as requirement, as obligation, as these different things that are really what I found is they're going back to this lizard brain, a lot of them are rooted in self-preservation. You know, I have a family, 
I have a mortgage. I've got a car. We've got soccer club and gymnastics, and I'm saving for college, and I'd love to go on vacation. And I think that what happens in that, what I've observed, is that we end up subduing parts of ourselves in trade for a paycheck, Hmm. where we say, you know what, boss, company, customers, I'll trade you my passion, I'll trade you my dreams, I'll trade you, you know, my um, invigoration that I used to show up with when I was 22. In, in trade, if you give me a Christmas party, if you give me two weeks off a year, and if you give me X salary and opportunity for bonus, then I'll come in and I'll figure out whatever it is the bar is I need to achieve to, and I'll notch it down just to be good enough. Mm-hmm. And then I'm going to put it into third or fourth gear and try and ride this thing out for 40 years. Wow. And to me, it's like, this is crazy. <laughs> this is absolute insanity. Like 65, 70% of your total waking adult life is yep. spent going to work. And to me, it's like a fundamental. So the, the subtitle of the book is a manifesto to rethink yep. how you think about work. Yeah. Because what I go through the book and challenge is like time out. Like, if you do you remember the movie Jerry Maguire? Yeah. Yeah. So Jerry Maguire in the opening scenes, they show him at his company um, sales conference. It's this big annual launch. And he has this epiphany moment where he grows a conscience, really, is what happens. Right. He starts to take a second look at what he's doing for a living and how he's doing it. And he's killing it. You know, he's like the the he's the the modern day shark in a suit. Um, he could be on the Shark Tank, you know, show that we see today, but he was dying. There was something about him that actually had been traded. And what was cool is in the beginnings of his epiphany, he's doing headstands in his room, and he starts writing what he talks about is like the things that we think but do not say, right. the future of our business. And he goes on to write about what was it like, why did he get in the business in the first place? He, he loved to smell the field. Why did he want to help athletes? Because he wanted to help advocate for them so they didn't get taken by some other sucker. And what I think is beautiful about that is by helping people go back to what was the origins of their career. Why yeah. did they – I think you're in real estate business at some level. Yeah. But why did you start that? Why did you say that's a good idea? Why did you say I want to help people? Why did you say you know, homes and real estate is what I want to do? Well, there's a beginning to that story. And what I found is that when we go back to the beginning of the story, we can begin to name the original passions that drove yes. our decision. And then consequently, once we can name those passions and name the things that we originally loved about the smell of the grass and the field, about the roar of the crowd, well, then we can start to name, figure out, well, then what went wrong? Why don't mm. I love that anymore? Mm. Why am I doing the good enough? Why am I doing the settle in for 40 years of hard labor. And so the result is we take those things and we've essentially associated someone else with the responsibility for our future. Where if only X, Y, and Z would happen at work, then I would fill in the blank, be happy, be successful, get that promotion. Um, and what I've found is it's not true mm-hmm. because I started changing jobs and careers and companies and I found these themes followed me everywhere I went. And I 
finally woke up to the reality is most of it was me. Yeah. Most of it was my recurring themes of, you know what the truth is? I stopped speaking up for myself. I stopped doing my best work out of fear or compliance or because these things were, because it was self-preservation. Yeah. You know, I'd be in a meeting sitting around a table with, I called them, you know, the, the king's thugs taking a beating from somebody and just in my, my mind and my heart of like, man, if I had 50 grand in the bank, I would be out of here right now. Right. So I started naming, well, then is that really what, what I'm here for? I'm just going to suck it up until I have 50 grand and then I can walk. It's like, no, 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 that's actually not the answer. Mm-hmm. The answer is let's figure out where I start going off the rails. Where did, if I got back to the bedrock. So the book helps people walk through those stories to figure out where are you today? How'd you get there? And then I offer an alternative, which is firing your boss. Yeah. And the punchline isn't necessarily become an entrepreneur. It's more of a way in which we think about what we do, how we do it, and who we do it for, resulting in more happiness, more success, more enjoyment of what you go do every day. So it's like a permission slip for, for ownership of your yeah, life. It is. Um, it is. Man, you know, I think there's a lot of our stories that are similar. Um, and and it seems like there's, there's, there's like ahas that you get weekly and there's ahas you get monthly and then you get ahas like every five years and then every decade. They're all, they're much bigger the more the gap is. Yeah. Um, but one of your latest podcasts, and, and I think it'll riff right off of what we were just talking about, um, was about you've experienced a burnout before. Mm. Um, and I'm not going to put words in your mouth because I want to hear the story a little bit because I've, I've had it or experienced it as well um, of the adrenal fatigue. Um, yeah. When you, you get jaded, you, um, and I think for guys, uh, predominantly we, we get a little too connected to the job, to the, the thing yeah. that does, uh, create the income that brings in the money to pay the mortgage, the car payments and all that. Um, and so th- there's this moment of like jaded period where you're not seeing clearly and maybe burnout's the only thing that's going to get to us. I-, I don't think I would have learned it any other way. Um, share with me your, that experience for you. Um, kind of that story in a nutshell. Yeah. So I've been working in this sales career thing for 20 some odd years. And I continued to experience what the world would term as success. Running sales for the Americas for an international software company and flying all over the world and London board meetings and got to ring in the opening day trading at the London Stock Exchange and everything in between. Um, I I started, you know, door knocking, selling office supplies when I was 22 for a guy. Mm -hmm. So it's been a a lot, like everything that, that goes through that spectrum. And the world is really, really, really good at rewarding super driven super motivated, mm-hmm. conquest-oriented people like myself. 
so what I found was that that it worked great. You know, it worked great for, I don't know, 20 years, probably my family benefited. I benefited. I got to do and see and, you know, just experience some amazing stuff. But also what I found was, especially in the decades. So I have three kids and my oldest is 20 and my youngest is 15. And especially when the kids were home and little, little bitty kids and my wife was home stay at home with them and I'm traveling all the time and it's just it was just like a slow erosion of what I term now is emotional calories hmm. of this premise of every day we you know eat three meals a day and whatever snacks you fill in that's 1800 to 2000 calories that you take in in nutrition a day but emotionally we we don't we don't live that way yeah. We don't live in the same way that we do nutritionally for our bodies. And what I found was that I was actually living constantly, what I just call like in starvation mode or anemic yeah. of under under nutrients, you know, lack of nutrients coming in, but extraordinary amount of calories being expended because of the leadership roles that I was in. Hmm. And so the the burn rate became the more people I managed. The more responsibility I had, the more business trips I had to go on, you know, the more money I made, all those things, those came with a cost. And nobody sat me down and said, hey, we're going to promote you to, you know, king of whatever, global this, that. And oh, by the way, you need to figure out how to expend 600 more emotional calories a day for meetings and conference calls and, you know, and time away from home and all this stuff. So what I started realizing was, this is getting the best of me. Yeah. So about a year ago to the burnout, I found myself really, 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 as you said, like adrenal glands fatigue. Like I was actually at full on physiological fatigue where my resting heart rate was probably like 88, wow. 94 sitting on the couch on a Saturday afternoon. Wow. And that was a really big indication to me. It was like my body's trying to tell me something. Yeah. I, I can't keep living like this. Yeah can't keep jamming the gas as hard as I can go. And I was doing it for noble reasons. I was doing yeah. it for the people I worked, you know, worked for me. I was doing it for my family to fund college. My son was in his first semester of college and I was doing it to uh, fulfill obligations when I told people they could count on me. But all of it, what I didn't calculate was how, going back to your earlier question about rhythms, it wasn't sustainable. Mm-hmm. There was no way I could keep that up. And what I watched is when I looked around me in my peer group and I started kind of looking at the anatomy of each of their lives and stories and families and friends and all that, they, they were in deficit too. Wow. But they were finding a way to adjust parts of their life to maybe accommodate for the deficit. And I wasn't willing to do that. Like yeah. I wasn't willing to sacrifice my family and end up living in an apartment down the street from my wife and kids and some of those that just happen if you allow them. So about a year ago, then I just tapped out and said, I can't do this anymore. And it was really, I wouldn't say it was actually, it wasn't humiliating, but it was very, very humbling. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I thought about being humiliated, but I was too damn tired to care. (laughs) No, you're exactly right. Yeah. Well, you, you know, um, I'm looking at the emotional 
calories and expenditures like these things. You 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 have some brilliant drawings. For those of you that are listening, episode fifty four of Aaron's podcast is this whole breakdown on this idea. Um, and you have uh, you say that there's a scale of rate of depletion. Yeah. Um, hold my hand with that a bit because this <laughs> this this calorie thing. This is a big idea, yeah. and I'm loving it. And yeah. and I think if just to know that there's depletion right there makes us aware that you got to find a way to, to start supplementing this thing, to, to pour into it because it will, it will go to zero and zero is not where you want to be. That's exactly right. Um, and I think is if the operating beginning belief is that we have, we have limited supply. Yeah. And I didn't fundamentally, I didn't believe that. So this yeah. idea of emotional calories is something that I've been, as you use the word riffing on, like I've been, I've been formulating this, like, I wonder if mm-hmm. there, you know, so it's like theoretical in my mind, like I'm, I'm flushing it out too, but I'm just starting to name it. And I've had beers and runs with friends where I've said, Hey, can I just tell you about this theory I have? Yeah. You know, can you, can you tell me if, if this is crazy or if this actually makes sense? It makes sense to me, yeah. but maybe it's cause I lived it. And that was the only way I could try and describe what it was I was living. So what I found was there's really the, the operating belief is first of all that I have a limited supply. Yeah. And out of that operating belief, then we I I needed to begin to name two categories. What are the things that fill me up? And so for me, you know, having a conversation like this, um, I would say that this is a you know, put something in my tank. Yeah. Simultaneously, the other bucket is what are the things that take calories away and take energy away? Well, being fired up, talking with you for an hour, it does require energy. So, you know, I have to go through and say, well, hey, if I'm going to spend an hour with Ashton this afternoon, then I've learned now to budget my day earlier before I get to this hour to say, I want to have actually some good stuff in the tank. And what I found is that most people are able to live in their gifting and their skill set for so long that it actually it's like you're cheating the system. I cheated the system for a long time where I could get away with, I thought, um, depleting myself and it didn't cost me anything. Well then cumulatively over the, as you mentioned, five years and 10 years and 20 years, that stuff begins to like a person who's malnutrition catches up with you. So what I started to just name was, I think there's rates of depletion based on different events of the day. For me, reading 120 new emails a day, yeah. it's a really high rate of depletion yeah. because I just look at it and think, you got to be kidding me. This is really what I'm going to do with my life yeah. is just read an inbox. Yeah. Or, you know, I found that in the working world, if I had to have a difficult conversation with someone and say, Hey, listen, you're just not cutting it. You know, I got to put you on, you know, 90 day plan. And then maybe you're out if you don't make it. Well, that was a that was a big. I care about people, yeah. so I found that cost me something, and then I would go home and I had expended ten hours, fourteen hours of a day, caring for other people in leadership, and then I'd go home to my family, and they'd say, "Hey, Dad, you know, such and such went sideways today. We need two hundred more bucks for whatever the orthodontist." And I was mm-hmm. like, "Guys, you don't <laughs> understand. I, don't tell me that right now. Wait till tomorrow morning after I sleep, after I." put some energy back in the tank and and I started realizing I was like managing my life 
not in the decisions I was making, but trying to manage other people and how and when they brought me Hmm. these, these depleting conversations, these depleting topics. Hmm. And what I really realized is that it was all fundamentally flawed because I didn't have a rhythm of constant renewal. So I didn't live a renewable, sustainable life that put my care, my emotional fitness first and then subsequently poured out to other people out of an overflow. I just showed up every day, fielded whatever came my way, and then was surprised at the end of the day or the end of the week when I was tired and pissed. Yeah. yeah. Well, so, so good. I mean, I'm, I'm just looking this over. And if we're, if for our listeners, if we're a little too metaphorical for you right now, um, well, let's break this down a little bit. I mean, the emotional calorie intake, the good stuff we're talking about. We're talking about rest, sleep, peace and quiet, time with family, adventure, good food, time with God, good friends, work you love, laughter, prayer. This is the stuff um, that we're saying you can't forget about, you know? Yeah. And and unfortunately, it's the stuff that sometimes you, you push to the wayside first, Um but it, it really, uh, when you start looking at the endless inbox and the difficult conversations, it will deplete in a hurry if you are not taking in these appropriate calories and nutrients. Yeah. And in the modern world that we live in, Ashton, I'm sure it's the same challenges that you face, is that the modern world never turns off. Yep. Yep. And there's always, there's always one more thing. There's always one more response. There's always one more whatever. There's always something new, and so there's always a new movie. There's always a new something to buy. There's always a new vacation, a new adventure, a new. And so what I found is that this treadmill is just perpetuates this constant depletion if we participate with it fully. Mm-hmm. And so I had to start opting out of the world's model of what life should look like, and opting into finding ways that on that drawing you saw there of, yeah, hey, how do I say yes to more family? How do I say yes to more evenings with friends? So those are the kinds of things where I just started to start, I had to start living differently and really making sure super intentionally because I was burned out, because I had literally emotional exhaustion, physiological exhaustion, I really had to become really shrewd and then orienting my day where if it meant I had to get up a half an hour early to go spend time in quiet or if on a business trip I've left meetings and said, Hey guys, let's take a break for 45 minutes. I've driven back to the hotel and taken a nap for 18 minutes to then get back in the car to drive back to just saying, listen, I can't, I can't pretend any longer that I can cheat the system because it caught up with me and then resulting in I've had to, learn to, to be more shrewd in my choices of how I choose to live to make sure I'm getting those nutrients coming in. No doubt. So, so good. I mean, I'm just, I'm thinking of all of these emotional interior metaphors that you've given me. A budget, that's huge. Um, <laughs> installing a governor on your gas pedal, that's yeah. huge. Yeah. Um, even just the concept of calories and nutritious intake, um, all, all of those are huge, huge ideas. Uh, and we'll for sure share a link to that podcast in the show notes because I want people to see um, what you've drawn here. I love it. So yeah, good. Great. Good. Fine. Um, so what's keeping you curious these days? 
something. Yeah, I like that. I like that question. I wrote it down actually when you mentioned it earlier. Um, you know, I, I get super stoked about being outside. Yeah. And one of the things that keeps me curious is what's around the next corner. So I try and spend in this work life play story that I I'm telling is really just me saying this is the this is the interpretive lens through which I'm viewing my life of these areas of harmony of how do I keep balance with what's going on with work and my family and life and things I want to do and and then this playful adventurous part. So I really 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 get fired up about trying something new. So I've been out uh, rock climbing quite a bit with some friends lately and kind of back in the game. That was a, a dormant part of my life for about 10 years. Yeah. Um, that's been really super fun. Um, been running quite a bit. I, I've spent a lot of time as an athlete of triathlons and marathons. So I've been out running with some guys that are ultra marathon guys that have um, done some really cool, fun 100-mile races that – I'm, I'm not uh, in that in that game right now, but yeah. maybe someday. Um, so that's been really cool. And then I would say, too, one of the things I've been doing that's been real intentional is my youngest is the last one at home with us, and she's 15, um, and we bought a 1974 VW bus together. I've seen this. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's uh, named the Joy Bus. So we got cu- custom plates for it, and it's this big tangerine-colored just joy bomb and we love so we've been knocking around doing that some road trips awesome and just that insatiable curiosity of what's around the next corner and let's go invent a reason to get out of the house yeah and get away from this modern life and just go live our life together and do it intentionally you know with the people that we love beautiful that's inspiring all of that is emotional caloric intake that's right man. Um, that's a good word uh what advice would you give to your younger self? Yeah, that's a good question. I like that. You know, some of it, I would say, Aaron, you're a much better man than you believe you are. Oh, wow. And you should go easy on yourself. Mm. And just let it, some of it's just time. Yeah. Some of it is, you know, when, when, when I was 25, I really did think I had to get, I had to get something going. You know, like the clock is ticking, yep. and I better get going fast at this. Mm-hmm. And I thought that what I produced was of higher and greater value than who I became. Wow. And I've learned that who I become, who I'm becoming, enables for me to have an impact and a capacity and a shrewd wisdom that actually the irony is it actually ends up having a greater effect than my younger 20, 30 year old self that just was frivolous, you know, nervous energy all the time. Yeah. That's all of our stories. Is it not? (laughs) I mean, I'm I'm just like, it's more common than not. Is there any, yeah. I mean, it's like, yep, that was us. That was me. Um, who you are is is more significant than what you produce. Yeah, that will free some people. Um, yeah. yeah, who you become is because becoming a person of substance, a person of integrity, a person of steadiness, a person of 
ease, a person who's um, playful, a person who's who can actually like. I was never the guy like it was melting snow today, and I was walking the alley by my office, and I pulled over and I heard the gutter dropping down. You know, all this melted water coming from the snow on the roofs, and it was this kind of cool. Like I caught the sound of like it's like music yeah there was this line of gutters um coming down into the street and they were all making different noises and i thought you know what i'm gonna do i'm gonna i'm gonna use my iphone and i'm gonna go walk up to him and just record the sounds yeah. and just hear for podcast purposes i just, just want to hear like notice the world i live in like what what's around me yeah i was never like that yeah i was too busy moving to the next thing so that I could make something happen, so it would have an outcome that I wanted, so my life would look a certain way. But then the problem was, again, how Rob Bell talks about it is like I wasn't here. Yep. I wasn't. I wasn't actually living. the The nectar of my life wasn't getting sucked out right in front of me because yep. I was always focused on the next batch of fruit in the next row over in the next vineyard in the vineyard I was going to build someday. <laughs> Like, what a silly way to live. So at 44, I, I can say that I'm doing a better job, even by proof to myself today. I'm like, man, I've never done that. Just actually been here fully to yeah. hear rain coming or you know, water coming down a, a gutter. Yeah. But those are the kinds of ways that I'm trying to make shifts, to be more present, to be more available. And then the result I found, all that is each of us have wealth in our life yeah. and it may not be in a bank account. It may not be down at Wells Fargo, but I found that by bypassing our present wealth to move towards a perceived arrival of wealth someday is an impoverished way of living. And yeah. I'm trying, trying to cure that. Yeah. It's a redefinition of success. Yeah, it's a total yeah. redefinition of success, and then you wake up to it, and the whole place becomes electric with an energy. <laughs> yeah, that you're like, yeah. I, this is what I was. I, I'm, you know, whoa, I was missing it. Um, yeah, way that's more a, beauty, way more whimsy. That's right, exactly right. That you get in the Volkswagen. That's money. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> um. So. Uh, I think you could run with some metaphors. You, you, uh, I love that. Um, I, that's the only way I understand the world is through metaphors. So that's why I'm, I'm kind of geeking out on all this calorie stuff today. Um, so the, the podcast here that we have, the, the metaphor is music and we, we define music as the experience that's heard, felt, and seen and the story that unfolds when one's divine identity, core consciousness, and God giftings come together, come alive, and crescendo in the universe we exist in. Dude, um, come on. That's a pretty good one. There, on that, there, dude, that's, that's solid. There we, there we go. So, I mean, that's so that's that's what we're about here. Um, and when I reached out to you, I knew you would fit that mold and, and fit that same um, purpose. What, what do you want your music to be? I mean, if you could, you know, when, when the day comes and you look backwards – and you can say, I'm glad I did in lieu of saying, I wish I had, um, yeah. what, what will that, what's your hope? Yeah. I, I think about that a lot actually of, of motivation of, you know, why do I do this? You know, what's, what do I hope will happen? And first starting with me, as I mentioned, you know, a lot of it is originally it was very 
inwardly motivated. But when I think about the impact or legacy or, you know, I use that term, like what's your dent in the world going to be? Yeah. I really, I want to like with those caloric uh, emotional calories, you know, this idea, I like ideas that help people, what I call like translate, like a translation of what you mean budget, we could budget our emotional life. Hold Mm -hmm. on. And so what I really hope is that I could serve as a translator for people to help them help me because it helps me do it externally to say, Hey, I'm, I'm working through this idea. Tell me if this is how this sits, how this resonates with you. And then as a result, what I found is that it allows other people to have the invitation to live the life they want to live to do work that's meaningful and they love and to play and have more adventure. So when I get emails in my inbox or, you know, hear from people about, Hey, I went and bought, you know, a, a joy bucket and full filled it full of stuff and put it in my car. And I squeezed in a run for 20 minutes the other day when the interstate was backed up for 18 miles <laughs> instead of sitting in my car. Like to me, that is like, Yes, there's yeah. two of me out there. There's yeah. me and that guy. Yeah. So, so I'm hoping that more people I'll be able to offer my gifting in such a way that would allow more people to experience more of what they're actually here to do. So and good. Live the life that they want, work, play, they, they can't wait to do. And like you mentioned, that kind of euphoria wake up of like, oh, look what I get to do. Yeah. Look what this could be about. And I hope that I can help challenge people's fundamental ways they approach that stuff and the ideas that they that I formerly have and I'm flushing it out all the time in such a way that would give them more joy. So good. So good, man. Well keep keep downloading and then keep sharing. Um, It's making the world a better place. Um how can how can our listeners find you? Uh website, podcast, Twitter. Um I would imagine the book's probably on Amazon. It is. So I mean, Amazon is, if you just type in fire your boss, then you'll pull it up. It's a black and red cover with a big check mark on it. And it's been um, really, really fun. So I would definitely, it's an easy read, let's say in an hour, hour and a half. Perfect. It is more manifesto like versus really long slog. The intention is you can get a download like you just mentioned, Yeah. get the download and in an hour, hour and a half over a beer or a glass of wine, a cup of tea, whatever, you can um, really challenge some of what you're thinking. And then my website is aaronmchugh.com. The last name's M-C-H-U-G-H. Um, or you can just type in work-life play in Google, and I'll come up that way. And then the same is true on iTunes. And then podcast just came out yesterday on Google Play Music, too. So type in work-life play there, and there's you know pushing 60 episodes now after awesome. a couple of years. Awesome. Yes. Well, guys, be sure to check out uh, Aaron and his work and his art. I promise you he is denting the universe in his own way, and um, your life will be better for it. And we are grateful for your work, Aaron. Thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, man. That's great. Okay, man. We'll talk with you soon. Sweet brother. Thanks. Thanks. See you. Cheers. I hope you enjoyed this episode with Aaron. Be sure to follow his work at AaronMcHugh.com. You can also purchase his book on Amazon.com. And make sure you subscribe to his Work Life Play podcast as well. If you heard something here that struck a chord, be sure to share this episode with those you love and those you lead. And as you approach this week, may you pause by the orchid 
listen to the bluebirds sing, and be love. 